Chapter Seven of Benjamin Franklin by Robin McCown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Battle with the Pens. During the voyage to England, Franklin wrote a preface for his seventeen fifty eight almanac. In the form of a letter from poor Richard to his courteous reader, it told of a sermon on frugality and industry which poor Richard had heard in the market place by a plain, clean old man with white locks called Father Abraham. He was most flattered to find that Father Abraham was quoting him, poor Richard, at every other breath as poor richard says many words won't fill a bushel god helps them that help themselves the sleeping fox catches no poultry early to bed early to rise makes a man healthy wealthy and wise for want of a nail the shoe was lost for want of a shoe the horse was lost and for want of a horse the rider was lost as poor richard says many a little makes a mickle fools make feasts and wise men eat them pride that dines on vanity sups on contempt tis hard for an empty bag to stand upright if you will not hear reason she'll surely wrap your knuckles all the nuggets of wise counsel which he had dropped in his almanac in the twenty-five years of its existence franklin gathered for father abraham's speech omitted were the racy ballads verses broad humour and jokes which had made the almanac a potpourri where every man could find something to his taste only at the end was a touch of franklin's sly wit following father abraham's sermon poor richard watched disconsolately as the village folk dispersed to spend their hard-earned money as foolishly as ever on the market-place wares the only one to take the sermon to heart was poor richard himself who had come to buy material for a new coat but left resolved to wear my old one a little longer father abraham's speech was later published under the title of the way to wealth it was reprinted in many editions and translated in many languages and it won the author almost as much fame as his discoveries in electricity peter collinson met franklin and his son in london where they arrived on july twenty sixth seventeen fifty seven taking them to his home no doubt he and franklin discussed electricity until very late with william only half listening and more or less bored the next day a printer named william strahan with whom franklin had corresponded some fourteen years but never met called on him i never saw a man who was in every respect so perfectly agreeable to me strahan wrote deborah franklin of this meeting adding that william was one of the prettiest young gentlemen i ever knew from america deborah likely scowled it was just like that artful lad to ingratiate himself so quickly a few days later father and son rented four rooms from a widow mrs margaret stevenson who lived with her young daughter polly in a substantial mansion on seven craven street strand this was to be franklin's english home which over the years became almost as dear to him as his philadelphia one he had brought two servants with him one of them peter served him faithfully though the other a slave ran away shortly after their arrival franklin's post as massachusetts agent required a bit of pomp 
he wore a wig in the latest fashion silver shoe and knee buckles and purchased linen for new shirts later he rented a coach barely was he settled when he was invited to visit lord george grenville president of the privy council and one of england's most important statesmen this was franklin's first test in holding his own with persons more steeped than he in political intrigue lord grenville received him with great civility questioned him at length about american affairs and then announced that the colonists had some erroneous notions he felt duty-bound to correct you americans have wrong ideas of the nature of your constitution you contend that the king's instructions to his governors are not laws and think yourselves at liberty to regard or disregard them at your own discretion you must be made to understand that the king's instruction are the law of the land this was simply not true the king's instructions were laws in the colonies only if they received the approval of the local assembly in the same way laws passed by a colonial assembly had to be submitted to the king before they became final that was why franklin was in england to get the king's approval of the assembly decision on the pens sure as he was of his facts he voiced his opinion in the manner he had learned from socrates it is my understanding that you are totally mistaken lord grenville stated patronizingly when he had finished it was franklin's first experience with the contemptuous attitude which certain of the british took in regard to the colonists he would later observe that every man in england seems to jostle himself into the throne with the king and talks of our subjects in the colonies around the middle of august he called on the penn family at their stately mansion in spring garden it had seemed courteous to meet with them personally before approaching higher authority william penn's son thomas was there and probably richard penn and his son john they received him with glacial politeness listened haughtily as he told them the assembly's grievances and just as haughtily denied that the grievances were in any way justified franklin pointed out that the assembly was asking no more than what william penn had promised citizens under his seventeen o one charter of privileges my father granted privileges he had no right to grant according to the royal charter thomas penn announced then all those who came to settle in the province expecting to enjoy the privileges contained in the grant were deceived cheated and betrayed with the greatest difficulty franklin kept his voice calm thomas penn laughed insolently if the people were cheated it was their own fault they should have gone to the trouble of reading the royal charter his tone reminded franklin of a horse-trader of low character jeering at the purchaser he had victimized poor people are not lawyers he said steadily they trusted your father and did not think it necessary to consult a lawyer unabashed thomas penn rose to dismiss him if you care to put your complaints in writing mr franklin we will then consider them those arrogant pens how it would have grieved their noble father to see into what selfish hands he had left his beloved pennsylvania franklin had yet to find out through personal experience that nobility of character is not always inherited five days later he returned with the assembly's grievances in written form 
on the advice of their lawyer a proud and angry man ferdinand john paris the pen sent franklin's paper to the royal lawyers the attorney-general charles pratt and solicitor-general charles york these gentlemen were out of town there was nothing to do but wait franklin fell sick with a cold and fever that september and was bedridden nearly eight weeks dr fothergill the man who had written the preface for his pamphlet on electricity tended him regularly mrs stevenson his landlady nursed him like a son even william was unusually obliging did his errands and helped him to prepare a letter to the citizen to counteract slanders about pennsylvania which franklin suspected emanated from the pens william was enrolling in law school in london he had bought himself elegant clothes that rivalled those of any young english peer as soon as he was well enough franklin went on a shopping spree himself for debbie who still liked bright colors he purchased a crimson satin cloak and for sally a black silk one with a scarlet feather and muff which william selected there were other luxuries for their home not found in america english china silver salt ladles an apple corer and a gadget to make little turnips out of great ones a carpet tablecloths napkins silk blankets from france and a large fine jug for beer which he had fallen in love with at first sight i thought it looked like a fat jolly dame he explained the gift to debbie clean and tidy with a neat blue and white calico gown on good-natured and lovely and put me in mind of somebody his most extravagant present followed later a harpsichord for sally which cost the huge sum of forty-two guineas if some englishmen were snobs there were plenty of others who were just the opposite franklin's fellow members of the august royal society welcomed him warmly he made many new scientific friends among them the stout and amiable john pringle an authority on military medicine and sanitation and john canton the first englishman to draw lightning from the sky at cambridge in may seventeen fifty eight he performed experiments in evaporation with john hadley professor of chemistry he made a trip to northampton the ancestral home of the franklins and met some distant relatives when he found the franklin graves in the cemetery so moss-covered that their inscriptions were effaced he had his servant peter scour them clean the scottish university of st andrews gave him a degree as doctor of law henceforth he had the right to call himself dr franklin later he visited scotland where he was made an honorary burgess and guild brother at edinburgh met the economist adam smith and the philosopher david hume who said of him america has sent us many good things gold silver sugar tobacco indigo etc but you are the first philosopher and indeed the first great man of letters for whom we are beholden to her he stayed with the congenial scottish judge lord henry home kames to whom he wrote in his note of thanks that the time spent in scotland was six weeks of the densest happiness i have met with in any part of my life a bitter fellow-american arrived in london william smith provost of the pennsylvania academy one of those who had opposed him on the pen issue the pennsylvania assembly had tried him on the charge of libel and he had spent three months in jail 
now he was seeking redress from the crown and blaming not only the quakers for his arrest but franklin who had not even been in pennsylvania smith was saying that franklin was not really a scientist that he had stolen his ideas from others franklin took the slander philosophically tis convenient to have at least one enemy who by his readiness to revile one on all occasions may make one careful of one's conduct i shall keep him an enemy for that purpose while the proprietors were stalling franklin set out to meet such high-placed persons as might help his cause he tried to see the prime minister william pitt who was said to be sympathetic to the colonies but pitt was too occupied with his enormous war in india to give him a hearing eventually he met the two royal lawyers charles york and charles pratt to whom the pens had submitted the assembly's grievances to his surprise he found they had already given their verdict a negative one which the pens had forwarded directly to the assembly bypassing franklin the pens were claiming he had insulted them he had not addressed them as the true and absolute proprietaries of the province of pennsylvania back in pennsylvania the assembly had finally persuaded governor denny to pass its act taxing the proprietary estate franklin brought the matter before the british committee for plantation affairs in august seventeen fifty nine when he had been two years in england the decision was a compromise unsurveyed lands of the proprietors should not be taxed but their surveyed lands must be taxed at a rate no higher than other similar lands the pennsylvania assembly held franklin solely responsible for the victory and congratulations flowed to him he could have gone home now but he stayed on there was a tremendous propaganda job to be done and he was the only one capable he wanted to set the english straight on the role of the american colonies in the british empire he wrote articles for the press he expressed his ideas at the whig club in coffee-houses where philosophers and literary men congregated and to guests whom he invited to dine at craven street his refreshing candor and quiet wit brought him attention everywhere at odd moments he tinkered with various inventions for the stevensons he devised an iron frame with a sliding plate to serve as a draught in their fireplace so it would give more heat and take less fuel he made a clock with only three wheels and one hand which showed hours minutes and seconds later others improved his model and sold it commercially he spent long hours constructing a musical instrument based on the principle of musical glasses the harmonica he named it remarking that it was particularly adapted to italian music especially that of the soft and plaintive kind subsequently an english musician marianne davies toured the continent giving harmonica recitals marie antoinette took lessons from her mozart and beethoven composed selections for the harmonica its vogue lasted some fifty years and then no one knows just why it lost its popularity in august seventeen sixty one he took william on a trip to belgium and holland in brussels the prince of lorraine welcomed him and showed him his physics laboratory at leyden he met muschenbroek inventor of the leyden jar they were back in time for the coronation of george the third whom franklin judged a virtuous and generous young man 
in february seventeen seventy two oxford university gave the honorary degree of doctor of civil laws to the illustrious benjamin franklin esq agent of the province of pennsylvania postmaster-general of north america and fellow of the royal society less ostentatiously william was presented a degree of master of arts william had been basking in the sunlight of his father's reputation and franklin had more than a little reason to worry about him unlike his father the youth was proud and haughty and disdainful of those of humble birth one day franklin told him a story when he was a child of seven franklin said some friends on a holiday filled his pocket with coppers he went directly to a toy shop and being charmed with the sound of a whistle in the hands of another boy he gave all his money for one like it he came home and went whistling all over the house much pleased with his purchase until his brothers sisters and cousins told him he had given four times as much as it was worth laughing at him for his folly put in mind of the good things he might have bought with the rest of the money he cried with vexation the reflection gave me more chagrin than the whistle gave me pleasure as i grew older he continued i have found a number of men who have given too much for their whistle popularity seekers misers and men of pleasure don't give too much for the whistle william why not become a joiner or wheelwright if the estate i leave you is not enough the man who lives by his labor is at least free did little benjamin really spend all his pennies for a whistle or was this a fable which franklin invented to clothe a moral lesson there is no way of knowing for sure and it is not important it should be emphasized that the story or fable was not intended merely to show the folly of wasting money it had a far more subtle meaning much as franklin had come to love england his heart was heavy with yearning for his family and his own country after his five-year absence since england and france were still at war he had to wait for a safe convoy it was august seventeen sixty two when he set sail from portsmouth william did not come with him the crown had appointed him to the high post of governor of new jersey he would take a later ship after his papers were in order don't give too much for the whistle franklin may have warned him once more before he left end of chapter seven